0: using the word B-U-T-T, and um, as we've gone through this, there's been a lot of opportunity throughout the series to be challenged by what we had believed prior to going through this study, and what the Bible taught as being the reality of the Word of God many of us have preconceptions about a lot of things in life and we have come to some uh, conclusions based on whatever it was that we've come to make those conclusions and uh, reality of it a lot of times it doesn't measure up to what god has to say in his word so what we're going to do is we've taken a look at what we thought to be the truth versus what god said about the truth and we're going to look and wrap up the whole series this morning and if you're here for the first time you just saved yourself 10 weeks of agony Um, because you get to see it all at once in one 40-minute or so session. Quite often, you you get together, and it would be one thing, if you just got together with friends, and the only thing that you talked about were things that you already knew about yourself or things that you already knew to be true and how refreshing it is often to get together and find out there are things about yourself that you need to be confronted about, and it isn't always in our best interest when we're confronted by friends who tell us what we already know about ourselves, but a lot of times it's a lot better to be confronted by someone who says, look, here's an area of your life I think you ought to be reconsidering or at least looking into or be more careful about what you decide to do. And we don't need to be affirmed in areas where we should not be, and we need to be confronted quite often to, to tell you the truth in areas that we need to straighten up. If we just want to not tell each other, what we wanted to hear would be like the kleptomaniac who went to his friend and said, you know, I've, I'm really struggling with this problem I have. I'm really wrestling with it. And his friend said, don't worry about it. You can always take something for it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like that. We don't want to be, we don't want to be affirmed in an area that we need to change in, and so as a result, we've got to be very careful what we share with one another. So this morning, we're going to take a quick look throughout this series on rewards. We're going to make some, uh, we've made some discoveries, but also it comes to a point where we have to make some very uh, difficult decisions, because discovery without decisions is a waste of time. There's no sense getting all excited about something, and I know a lot of you in here like to do that. We make these great biblical discoveries, and we say, man, that was great stuff. Uh, boy, you know, I never knew that before. I wish I would known that before. Uh, that was good. Now what are we going to do next? What's our next series going to be? And we never take into consideration what we've discovered. We need to make some decisions about it, and it should alter the way that we live our lives. So as we go through this this morning, I want to share with you the discoveries and wrap up kind of uh, what we discovered and what decisions, difficult decisions, have to be made out of the the discoveries that we made. So we'll take a look this morning at discoveries and some decisions, and I'll even slow down a little bit. I've been requested to do that um, so that if you're taking notes, you can follow along, and um, we'll we'll go a little slower. Okay, Discoveries and decisions. First thing we're going to look at are the discoveries that we made throughout the series. Discovery number one, as we've gone through it, we've seen that uh, your life on earth will determine your eternal situation. One of the things that is interesting to me in Hebrews uh, 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Discovery number one is that our life on Earth will determine our eternal situation, contrary to what Shirley McLean may uh, espouse, and others like her who uh, tend to try to make you believe if you don 't do it right this time, you can come back the next time, um, or as uh, I, I, <laughs> more. In one place that I worked at, a guy who was a general manager liked to tell a salesman if I ever die and come back, I'd like to come back as one of my salesmen. It's kinda like He's stuck in the office all day and they're out supposedly doing what they're doing and he's questioning whether or not they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So his joke was, well, if I ever die, I'd like to come back as a salesman. Um, the problem with that is the Bible doesn't teach that. We may joke about it, we may kind of tease one another about it, and we may hear people uh, philosophizing on how great it will be the next time they come back, but the Bible is very clear that our life here on earth we get one shot. And the commercial, I think it's the uh, one beer commercials, so you only go around once in life, um, there's a lot of truth to that theologically. The problem is that their conclusion is erroneous, and Because it's like, well, you know, and let's go for the guest or whatever their conclusion is. Um, you know, many people throughout the centuries have had that same conclusion. Uh, you only live once, uh, you die, uh, you might as well just have a, a party and go for it. Like the Apostle Paul said, if, if that's all there is to life, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But the, the problem is that's not true. The Bible is very clear that our life here on earth has drastic implications as far as our eternal situation is concerned. We only go around once in life, we need to be considering what the purpose is, why we're here, how we got here, and where we're going, because the way I see it, death is a lot longer than life, because I don't care how old you are, you know people that have been dead a long time, the problem is are they really dead, are they somewhere that the Bible teaches that they eternally exist, and that's what we're wrestling with. You only go around once in life, everything that you do becomes very, very important, And so as we go through this, just as man is destined to die once, and after that face judgment, the Bible is very clear. There are several things that we need to believe. What we believe is essential because our belief determines where we go. And this is basically what the Bible teaches. Our life here on earth, the purpose of it all, is that we've been created by God, that we are sinners by both birth and choice, and that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, who came to this earth to die after living a sinless life, to die to shed his blood for our sins. And after his death, it ra- was raised three days later that we could have eternal life because of that, and that, therefore also guaranteeing us that what he said is true about forgiveness of sin. That's the purpose of life, is to glorify God by putting our faith and trust in what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross. We need to understand that because we only get one choice to do it. See the Bible says that all of us will experience judgment someday. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ will be judged by their putting their faith and trust in Christ and by their works here on earth subsequent to that decision. Those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ are to be judged at the white throne judgment and there they will be eternally condemned or damned before God. See, our life here on earth is very important as far as our choices are concerned. And every one of us wrestle with it, and somehow we come up with a philosophy that dictates whether we believe this is true or not. If you do not believe this is true, and you believe that this is all there is, this is all there is to life, is what you see here and now, it will affect the way that you live on a daily basis. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If this is all that you believe there is, then that's exactly the way you live your life. But if you believe that you're going to be held accountable before God one day for the decisions you make in life, it should change the way that we live on a day-to-day basis. So that's the first discovery that we made. Our our, our life on earth will determine our eternal situation. We need to understand that as it affects the way that we make decisions on a daily basis. Discovery number two once you've made that decision, if you've crossed that threshold and you've put your faith and trust in Christ and what God has done through him, it says that your life as a believer will be evaluated by Jesus Christ himself. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. The key to understanding this is the words right here. Before all, first of all, all of us, obviously we'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but the question that we need is, who is all? Is all everyone who's ever lived on the face of the earth, or is all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because, see, all doesn't always mean all as in everybody, but it means all in the context of what's being taught. This particular section, we know that all is are those who put their faith and trust in Christ because the key is that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word bema seat is not the same word that's used in Revelation 20 that talks about the great white throne judgment. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ will appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad we will appear before the beam of seat of Christ for the things that we've done while in the body. See, again, it confirms the importance of our life here on earth because if we're going to be judged for the things done in our body, it means that there are the things that, have de- be, that we have done while here alive on earth. So it's very important the way that we live our life. To be righteous before God is only found in the righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ because God says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So the question then comes back into how can we become righteous before God? How can we be pleasing to God? Jesus said it best, that you believe on him upon whom he has sinned. The only way you and I will ever please God is to put our faith and trust in God in the work of Jesus Christ. That's how we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now it kicks into second phase, and that is, now that you've put your faith and trust in Christ, what have you done with your life here on earth? How have you lived your life? Has it been pleasing to God? Have you done the things that God says will earn you a reward? Have you done things that are right before His eyes, or have you continued to please yourself? Before the beam of seed of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, each one will appear uh, individually to give account for that which we've done while here in the body. While we have lived this life in our bodies, we will appear and be judged according to what we've done. It's very important that we understand that. That's the second discovery, that our life as a believer will be evaluated by Jesus Christ. It's not put your faith and trust in Christ and then that's it, the program's over. Many of us live our lives as though we believe that. Well that's it, we've we've put our faith and trust in Christ, now what does God expect of us? Nothing, so we just continue to do whatever it is that we want to do. The Bible does not teach that. Discovery number three, your works as a believer will determine your eternal rewards. Matthew 16, 27, we read that, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, we will be evaluated for everything that we did while here in the body. The blessed hope of every one of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ is his second coming, his appearance. It's the hope that is within us. It's what we should be waiting for and looking for and longing for. But the problem is that many of us don't want to long for that day because we don't know what to expect. The fact remains that the Bible teaches that at that second coming of Jesus Christ, we'll be evaluated for what we've done here on earth. And that it will be at that time, according to what we have done, that we will be rewarded. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, at the second coming of Christ, the program stops. There are many of us who, I think, that if you had a choice, you'd say, okay, well, Jesus Christ returns, Um, oh, he's serious about this, Uh, why don't you go away and come back and give me another 20 years, because now I know that this is for real. See, the problem is to please God, it's impossible to please God without faith. And the faith that, that is involved in our Christian faith is that we believe that what God says is true. Even though we have never experienced it, nor have we seen his second coming, or his appearance, we believe that it's true because he said it. And if it's true because he said it, and that's what will take place, how does it affect the way that you live your life today? Because when he returns, there's no more second chance, there's no more, give me tomorrow, there's no more, give me another ten years, can you go away and come back again? He could come any moment. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ's appearance is imminent. That it could come at any time. It'll be like a thief in the night. And in that particular parable, the people said, well, if we would have known you were coming, we would have put in the alarm system, or we would have put the gates up, or we would have put the bars on the window if we knew someone was going to break into our house. And Jesus said, that's the whole point. I don't want people who are obedient because all of a sudden there's a, 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 a quick test thrown at you. I want you to be obedient because you believe that what I say is true every day of your life. If you return today, would you wish that he would have given you another five years to believe what he had to say was true? That's really the issue. See, that's always the issue, and people don't like to deal with it, and that is simply this. If you died today, how would you know for sure whether you're pleasing in the eyes of God or not? Is it on a a curve? Is it on a scale? Uh, is, Is it because you're a good person compared to other people? A lot of us don't realize what our problem is. See, the Bible teaches that all of us are sinners, and our problem is that we have sin in our life. I talked to a guy this week who um, his wife left him after 20-some years of marriage, and um, the first thing that he said to me was, he said, you know, I'm not really that bad a guy. And the first thing I thought of is, see, it's a lot of us are like that. We've got a problem, and it's evident, but we're really not that bad of guys. We're really not that bad as we compare ourselves to other people. But see, God doesn't deal with us on a comparative basis. He says that you... Are sinners. And while you're yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and that Christ died for us. You may not see the problem, and as I stood there looking at this man, you know, I thought, you know, it's pretty sad because it's pretty obvious there's a problem. You may not think you have a problem, but the fact that your wife walked out and left you after being married for so long indicates to me that there's a serious problem. Now, you may not agree with it, and you may say you're okay. And as long as you keep saying you're okay, I don't think she's ever going to want to come back and live with you because it's obvious she doesn't think you're okay. And having known this person as long as I have, I know he's not okay. (laughs) So it's too bad he thinks he is because he's not. And he needs to understand that. And a lot of us sit here and listen to the Word of God and we say, but we're okay. The Bible says, you're not okay. I'm not okay. None of us are okay. And aside from the grace of God, all of us will be damned in eternity in hell. But because God loves us, because he's demonstrated that love through the death of Christ, we can stand before him someday, not by our works of righteousness, but what he has already done. And I'm glad that's the program because I know I'm not okay. I say things like... <laughs> <laughs> Number four. See, now I can say all kind of stuff. Now you don't know what I'm talking about. Number four, fourth discovery. Your choices as a believer can be influenced by understanding eternal rewards. In Matthew 19:27 through 30, there's a point in the program where there's a drastic change. Peter answered Jesus and said, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive one hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Discovery number four is that our choices as a believer can be influenced by ending of eternal rewards. See, they had got to a point in their program where, if you remember, in Matthew, in Matthew 16, Jesus came to his disciples and said, look, you know what? In three days, the Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be scourged, and I'm going to be ridiculed, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. He said, but in three days after that, gonna, this body will be raised. And the Apostle Peter said to him, said, look, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. We won't let that happen to you. And Jesus' response to him was, hey, you know what? You've got your mind on the interests of man and not on the interests of God. And so a little later on, we see that this is is in the backdrop of what they're uh, addressing here, and that is that they believed that Jesus Christ, when he came, would set up an earthly kingdom. He would be honored. They would be his followers. They would destroy Rome. They would have all the materialism and all of the, the uh, benefits of such a kingdom, but they began to realize what Jesus taught was this would not be an earthly kingdom, but it would not be one of materialism, but it would be one that involved the spiritual realm. It would be not a kingdom of elevation, but it would be a kingdom of servanthood. And their whole program got thrown through a, uh, through a loop, and they needed motivated again. What are the three ways that God motivates us? Fear, love. Love, and rewards. Fear, love, and rewards. God uses each one of them to motivate us. And at this particular time, he realized that they needed to be motivated by rewards. Because everything that they thought was going to happen, wasn't happening the way they thought it was going to. And they were getting real disappointed in the program. They thought they were going to be kings. They thought they were going to be in positions of authority. And Jesus said, hey, you're not going to be famous. You're going to be ostracized. 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 (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) You're going to be sliced and diced. You're going to be chopped up. You're going to, yeah, whatever. Stick with words, I know you really going to be ridiculed. There you go. you be ridiculed. That's what you're going to be. That's what it is. And he said that you're not going to have power, but you're going to be a servant. And uh, you're not going to be exalted, exalted but you'll be, uh, it'll be a state of humility for you. And so how does he handle it? You know what he says? He goes, hey, you know what? I know you left everything. Don't even worry about it, because everything that you left is going to be replaced 100 times. But the problem is, it's going to be at the renewal of all things. It's not going to be now. It's going to be later. Can you believe me? And that's the choice that every one of us have to deal with in this particular discovery through this series. Do you really believe that what you've given up is going to be replaced a hundred times? Do you trust God? So that's the question that we have to ask ourselves because that's what they wrestled with. Man, we gave up our fishing business. We've given up everything that we had to follow you. You're going to set up a kingdom, and you're not setting it up. Now you're going to tell us you're going to die. I don't understand. This program isn't what I thought it was going to be. They said, hey, don't worry about it. Because at the renewal of all things, you're gonna be re- it's going to be returned to you a hundredfold. And there's nothing you've given up that's not going to be better if you multiply that by 100. I don't care, new math or no new math. Sounds good to me. So that's the fourth discovery. Number five. Your level of eternal rewards will be determined by your decisions to deny yourselves now. In Matthew 16:24 through 25, Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose his life will whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it." As you take a look at that, we need to understand that there isn't anything as we're talking about self-denial. Every Christian, the indictment against us should be that we live below our means. Can I ask you a tough question? We've gone through a finance series, we've gone through a reward series. Let me ask you this Are you leveraged up to your ears? Are you leveraged? Are you, um, do you have more assets than liabilities? Do you? Is there just a little spread between the two? Is there a big spread between the two? Um, you know, a question that's really tough is, you know, Todd, uh, we had a discipleship group that I met with this past week, and the the verses, the memory verses were Romans 12:1 and 2, that talk about not being conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the question that, that was being addressed that morning was, how can someone look at my life and say that I'm not conformed to this world? How can someone look at me and the way that I live, the way that I handle finances, the things that I purchase, what I do with the money that God has entrusted to me, how can someone look at me and say, you know what, that person isn't conformed to this world, but but they're marching to a different drum. There's something that motivates them. There's something that's leading them in a different direction than everybody that we know around us. What is is it that's doing that? Are you conformed to this world? See, because what the Bible teaches us is deny yourself now, and he will replace it a hundred times then. Can you believe him to do that? Can you put, a, as, like, as we consider going into this new year, can you put a ceiling on your expenses to please yourself and begin to invest more in the kingdom of God, to be able to support ministries that are getting the gospel out to men and women that need to hear that there is a reason to live, that there is a hope to live? Because the bottom line of what we've already talked about is that, that, that our life here is significant Their life is significant. They have major decisions that they need to make in this life that are going to impact them eternally. Our lives here are significant. Can you put a ceiling or a maximum on what you spend for yourself in order that you can take more of those resources and funnel them in a direction that gets the gospel that there is hope, there is a reason to live to men and women that need to hear it? And it doesn't just have to be through Calvary Church. It could be through many other organizations that are dedicated to get the Word of God out to men and women that need to hear that their life makes a difference and there's no second chances and you don't come back again and you're not going to have to worry about what you're going to be like in your next life because this is it. It's appointed for man uh, to, to die once and then comes judgment. See, could the indictment against you be, boy, you know what? They make a lot more money than that, but you'd never know it by the way that they live. Boy, they're not spending it on this and that, and they don't have all these things, and I know they make a lot more money than that. I wonder what they do with all their money. What a great indictment that would be to, ha- to, to be able to share with the person that, you know what, yeah, we could, we could have a nicer house, we could have nicer cars, we can have a second house, we can have a boat, we can have all kind of stuff if we wanted to. But you know what? It's all temporary, and it's all passing, and I believe what the Bible teaches, I would rather take the resources God's trusted with me in me and be able to funnel it in a direction that gets the message out to men and women that need to know that Jesus Christ died for them and God loves them. See, but are you buying into this capitalanity or Christianism that we talked about a few weeks back? Where it's like, oh, God wants you to enjoy all the material things in life. He keeps blessing you in your business, he keeps blessing you personally so that you can just keep spending it on yourself. That's what this is all about. God wants you to enjoy life. You know what? The greatest enjoyment you and I should ever get out of life is taking resources entrusted to us to get the gospel out to men and women and to see God change their life through the message. That should be the greatest joy that any one of us as believers should ever have in our life. Every angel in heaven sings when one person tr- trusts Jesus Christ. But the least we can do is get a little excited about it. Can you do that? Can you put a ceiling on your expenditures this year? Can you give more back into the, into the kingdom of God? Can you spend a little less on yourself and more on God? And as he continues to bless you more and more and more, just put that ceiling on it and not get caught up in, in, the, uh, in the deception that goes along with, oh, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and buy some more things for ourselves now. Can you just maximize it? There's a challenge there. That's a discovery. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Strive to live below your means. Strive to be indicted for not spending everything that you could on yourself. What a tremendous opportunity that will be to be able to share with men and women around you what really makes you excited about this life, what really turns you on. But you know what's sad? I I think that in our discussion this past week, it was pretty evident that although we say it, and all we say we believe it, there's not a lot that could convict us of not being conformed to this world. The evidence is strongly against us saying we're not conformed to this world because we are. What can you do? Discovery number six. Your accountability as a manager of God's resources will affect your eternal rewards. And it goes in hand in hand with what we've just talked about. The key in understanding this is stewardship. If you remember the parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, and we, we limited it to the understanding of finances specifically when we went through it. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The parable is very clear that God owns everything. First Corinthians 4, 7, the apostle Paul writes, what do you have that has not been given to you? Have you created anything from nothing ever? What you've, ha- what you have, has been entrusted to you by God, who owns it all, and that's the understanding of stewardship that's taught throughout the Bible. There is nothing that you and I have that God hasn't entrusted to us for the purpose of investing it in His kingdom. And so, as whether it's ten talents, or whether it was five talents, or whether it was one talent, it doesn't matter how much you have. The question is your faithful response to what God has entrusted to you. The exciting thing to me is that if God only entrusts with you one talent and you are faithful in it and you only return one more, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Whether you have one or five or ten, as you faithfully uh, use it for the glory of God, the return is the same. It doesn't matter. See, that's the exciting thing to me because our logic is if I only had more, I could do more. Hey, if you only were doing something with what you had, maybe God would entrust to you more to do more with. But until you are faithful in little, I can't believe you'd be faithful in much. And it's amazing to me how many times I hear the logic that's that's exuded all around us. Well, you know what, if we could just make a little bit more money, then we'd give it more to God. Or, you know, everybody's joking about winning the lottery. Okay, God, look, if I win the lottery, 70 to you, 30 to me. Or, or 80-20. I mean, why not go 90-10 if it's a big enough jackpot? I mean, you know, if God had deals like that, we'd do it all the time. Because, see, I don't have it now. I don't have to give anything up. And if there was something I didn't have, uh, then it'd be easy for me to in, uh, to invest in the kingdom of God. So, if you let me win the lottery, you know, we start out 50-50, but as the drawing's coming near, we're giving them more. You know, it's 70-30, and, and it's 90-10 right before they pull the last number. But the thing is God doesn't care about stuff you don't have you don't have it because he doesn't think you can handle it what he wants to see you doing is dealing with things that you already got and when you begin to be faithful with what you have if he so chooses and if you're wise enough to put a ceiling on what you spend for yourself and what you invest back in the kingdom he'll dump all kind of resources into your lot so if the biggest problem you have is How can I intelligently and as a good steward and in wisdom of God give this back in the ministries that are being most effective for the work of the Lord? See, that would be the biggest headache that you'd have if you could just be trusted with more than what you got. But God knows this. It's like, uh, I think it was Agar. Agar said something about, um, you know, Lord, um, don't give me too much that I forget about who you are and don't give me not enough that I have to go steal and profane your name. Give me what you think I need and can handle. See, that's really the way God deals. His people will never go without. He will always meet our needs. We just don't understand the difference between needs and greeds and wants and desires. There isn't a person in here that God is not meeting your needs. The problem is we wrestle with what our greeds are and what our desires are. And he says, hey, and until you understand this, I don't really want to trust you with any more because you have a tendency to go in the wrong direction and I love you too much. It'd be like a dad who gives his son a lump lump sum inheritance and the kid can't manage 10 bucks. And he knows it's not good for him. So he gives him a little bit at a time. And he waits to see if he can be faithful in what he's doing. And as he shows more faithfulness, maybe he'll give him more resources. The worst thing that anybody can do is to dump a ton of money on a kid who's already demonstrated that he doesn't know how to handle it all throughout his life. It'll destroy that person's life. It'll destroy him. God is no different. God is better. He's even better and smarter than us. And he says, I'm not giving you any more until I can trust you with what you've got discovery number seven Your opportunities to earn eternal rewards provide ample opportunity to demonstrate your faith and without faith It is impossible to please God Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I Love James when he writes you know what? You tell me you have faith But I'll show you my works and by my works. I'll demonstrate that I have faith The easiest thing to do is to say, yeah, I trust in God. The toughest thing to do is to demonstrate it in practical ways. Every one of us need to examine ourselves as we discover this principle. How are you demonstrating that you truly have faith in God? Do you really believe and trust in Him? And the only way that you'll be able to say yes or no is how you demonstrate it in practical ways. The easiest thing to do is to blow smoke at one another and say, I love you, dear. The hardest thing to do is to demonstrate it in practical ways. Number 8. Your ongoing obedience is a guarantee of receiving a full reward. Second John 8 we read, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Every one of us, none of us have the luxury of believing that we can waste one day. If Jesus Christ could come back at this very moment, there isn't one of us here who can look back and say, you know what, we never wasted one minute of our time every minute that goes by that we are not working toward something that is pleasing to God is a waste of a minute of time and we will not be rewarded fully because we haven't maximized the time that God's uh, given us and made available to us and number nine your wholesale commitment to the cause of Christ is your greatest interest God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. God is not unjust; He will not forget anything that you're doing. There is isn't a moment that He's not watching and recording what you're doing for the cause of Christ. He is not unjust. There is nothing that you could do. There's, I mean the bottom line of this whole series is there is nothing you could give away. There is nothing that you can deny yourself. There is no gratification that you can defer to later that isn't going to be better when he gives it than it is right here and now on this earth there is nothing that you can give away that isn't going to be better when it's returned to you a hundredfold by jesus christ that's the bottom line of the whole thing and so the question as we go through it is we got to maintain and to keep on keeping on, so, so to speak. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is never in vain. When you get frustrated and you get discouraged and you're down and out, remember the words that Jesus Christ told us himself, and that is, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm watching what's going on, and it's going to be t- a hundred times better. I'm taking notes. Now, the decisions I have to make are tough ones. And we're going to take a look at them in the life of Moses. And the, pre- the prerequisite for the decisions, if we've discovered anything, we need to make some decisions. And that is the first one is this. Out of Hebrews 11, we're going to take a look at the life of Moses because he studied the subject. It says, by faith, when Moses had grown up, in Hebrews 11:24, 24, we read that by faith, the reliance upon God. Faith is the assurance of things ho- hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. See, our faith is what we hope for, but it's the conviction that changes the way we live our life that what we know God said is true, even though we haven't experienced it yet. So the first prerequisite for the decisions that we have to make are that we have to have a reliance upon God. Either God is true, He's telling us the truth, or He's lying to us, because that will affect the way that you live your life. We must have a reliance upon God. Moses knew that. Hebrews 11 deals with the whole subject of faith. It says, by faith... Moses when he had grown up. Now the question is but is, it's not talking about chronology here but as much as it is a spiritual growth. Many of us sit here and you know what? I mean you count week after week, year after year, you read this, you make these great discoveries and you know what? You haven't changed one bit in the last ten years. You still live the same way you did ten years ago. You still live the same way you did a year ago. And regretfully, there are going to be many of you who have gone through this series that are going to still live the same way that you did, and not because it's right and pleasing to God, but because you're just too boneheaded to change or to understand that That's what God requires. God demands life change. When you make a discovery, you've got to make a decision, and it says, by faith, Moses, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He knew that what he was hearing was right, even though he didn't see it, and it changed the course of his life, the way that he lived. It says that, when Moses had grown up. Many of us need to grow up. Many of us need to grow up. The bottom line is that we need to grow up. The book of Hebrews talks about all the believers who, at this point in time, should have been on meat and on deeper teachings, And and Paul said, you know what? We've got to go back to the basics with you. You know, you're back on milk again. You're still going through first steps, and you should be a lot further ahead than that. I mean, you've kept, you, know, you put your trust and faith in me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever, and there has been one change in your life. You know, and you're spread two miles wide and only an inch deep. It's time that we dig in. Moses decided it was time to dig in. It says, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up. A lot of us need to grow up. Tough decision number one is how will you be known? By faith will Moses had grown up refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Will you be known for your position in society, or will you be known for your position in the kingdom of God? See, so that's really the choice as you go through this. That's a tough decision. Who do you want to be recognized by? Do you want to be recognized by men? Or do you want to be recognized by God? Yeah, you know, it's an amazing thing to me is that uh, Moses decided just to kind of give it all up. He didn't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Man, when you think about what he gave up, he realized what God said was true. And as he looked around and he saw everything that was about him, and he saw all the the adoration that was given to the Pharaohs and to the kings, he said, you know what? I don't really care about all that because I'd rather be noted by God than by men so funny is archaeologists today are struggling and digging big holes trying to figure out who the Pharaohs were and what, what order they came in and which ones reigned at what, and, you know, and the funny thing is that here he is, Moses, I mean, we read about him every time we pick up the Bible. That three of the, the great religions of the world recognize him as a spiritual leader and he said, I refuse to be known by men, I'd rather be known by God because when God recognizes somebody it's for eternity and when men do it doesn't last very long. I know people that have been adored as celebrities in the eyes of the world, professional athletes, actors, uh, you name it, you know, people that have the spotlight for a short time. And once that spotlight dims, it's like people could care less about them anymore. They're elevated, they were, and Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas went through it. They said, oh, they're like the gods are among us. And they elevated them, and they started to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, don't worship God, Worship God. Don't worship us. And they tore their clothes. You know what happened? The people immediately turned on them and wanted to stone them. One minute they elevated them as gods, and the next moment when they refused to be recognized as such and to give glory to God, men hated it and, and wanted to stone them for it. You want to be recognized by men, let me tell you something, and, and we can get testimony after testimony of people who have been recognized in the eyes of the world. President Reagan has faded into the sunset already. You wait and see. In a week, in two, in a month, in a year, no, you know, kids in school, they don't even know who the presidents were. And here was a man who had the highest power and position in our country, not that that's wrong in and of itself, but the point that I'm trying to make is you won't remember six months or a year from now, who the president was. You won't remember who won the Super Bowl five years from now, you do not remember who won five years ago. And it's getting all the recognition of men in the media throughout the world. And the point that God makes is, you know what, you want to be known for that? No one will remember you six months from now, or would you rather be recognized for what you've done in the kingdom of God, because I'm going to remember it forever. That's your choice. Tough decision number two, what we choose to experience. It says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Hebrews 11.25 Would you rather be accepted by people or would you rather be rejected because of living a holy life pleasing before God? It's your choice. The pleasures. He says that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. It's like... You know, sin is fun, it could be a great time, but it doesn't last very long. And so the point that we need to remember is that God says, look, sin is fun! Don't ever tell somebody sin's not fun, because if they're doing it right, they're having a good time. But the problem that they're finding is that it's, it's not deep enough anymore. It's like it was fun, but you know, the buzz doesn't last long enough, so let's kick it up to the next level. And that doesn't last long enough, let's kick it up to the next level. It's just not enough. It's never enough. And Moses recognized what God said was true. You can have a fun time for a short time, or you can have a fun time for eternity. It's your choice. Decision number three. What will you choose to value? Moses regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of all of Egypt. What success is measured by men, and that always is, money, possessions, nice things. People look at you and you have all those things, you're successful. Or you can have success measured by God. Moses said, you know what, the treasures of Egypt? I'll pass on them. I'd rather be recognized by God. I'd rather have what's valuable in the eyes of God. Treasures of Egypt, you know what they are now? They're a 20th century tourist attraction. Oh, let's all go to a museum and look at the treasures of, uh, whatever his name is, Tut. Yeah, let's go look at that. What for? I mean, you know, what's so funny, and, and the, the sad thing is that there's nothing to it. Everyone goes by and goes, ooh, that's neat. Well, that's great. Isn't that great? Yeah. So is that what you're living your life for, material things? And you know what? They're all going to burn up and fade away. So what do, you want it, what do you value? Number four, whom do you fear? Since by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He feared God, who's a is our uh, power is eternal, or do you fear men? It's amazing to me how many times we compromise day to day because we fear what men can do to us. We may lose our jobs. We may lose our uh, promotion, maybe. We may lose uh, our friends. We may lose something. God says, hey, why don't you stop worrying about what men can do to you because the worst thing they can ever do to you is they could kill you. And that only happens once. And what a great opportunity that is to be judged for that. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful to appear before the judgment seat of Christ because we were martyred for our faith? Hey, they killed me. All right. Well, just so as, Not because you were stupid, but because... <laughs> oh, that's a shame, too. You were so down. That was a bad move on your part. But you know, you'd rather choose to fear God. I mean, because God... You know, Jesus said, hey, I'd rather fear God because He can do something with your soul forever. Men can only do something with you for a short time, and the worst they can do is kill you, and they can't kill you but once. Pretty good. Number five. What will you choose to trust? By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Faith involves the practices of God, to believe them to be advocated by Him, rather than the practices advocated by men. Let's face it folks, the Bible is weird. The Bible is bizarre to people who have never put their faith and trust in Christ. They read it. They look at it. In the beginning, was the word, was God. And the word was God. It was in the beginning with God, and all things came to being. Apart from it, nothing came to being. They look at that. and They go, "This is stupid stuff. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. And you're going to tell me that I should love my enemies? You're going to tell me that I should be uh, taking my my money and using it to to get this message out to people? This is stupid stuff. <laughs> and you know what? It is, unless you put your faith and trust in Christ, because it doesn't make any sense. Because the world around us teaches us that it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you think about this, putting blood on a, on a doorpost is going to protect your older son from being killed by a death angel. Stop and think about it for a minute, okay? There are a lot of things I read in the Bible that just are bizarre, but the thing is, they're true because God said it. And they're teaching us that God's ways are right because the rest of the world is, is crazy. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's program is different than anything else that we have going on around us, and the problem is that we're buying into the world's program that doesn't last and is stupid in the eyes of God, and God's program, which seems stupid in the eyes of people who never put their faith and trust in him, we start to go, man, we don't understand that either, but it's by faith, without it, it's impossible to please God. You're either going to believe that this stuff is true literally, or it's not. And if it is, it should change the way that you live your life. It changed the way they did. They went out, you know what, they bought a lot of sheep and they killed them. They put blood on their doorposts because it sounded stupid, but I'd rather do something that sounds stupid if God said it and see how it turns out than do something that sounds right because men said it and it always turns out stupid.